Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. This message is from our Renovate series, where we take a look at relationships through a biblical perspective and was recorded at our Menifee campus. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Thank you. Um, I'm so glad you guys are here. My name is Eric Cobb, and um, we just want to welcome you here to Covenant Grace Menifee, and we're in a series right now on relationships, and we really believe God has a lot for us in this, for us individually, and for us to share with others in our community. So let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come before you, and we understand from your word, Lord, that this is a very special meeting, Lord. This is a time when you, our Father, desire to feed, to speak to, to comfort, to convict, to, to spur on your children, Lord, that you want to communicate with your kids. And we also know, Lord, that this is a meeting that, that people come to that don't know you. And so we pray, Lord, that you'd be speaking to them. Lord, please draw people to yourself this morning. Comfort your children. Strengthen your children. Convict us where we need conviction, Lord. And give us great hope in your spirit to change us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we're in Hebrews 10, like she was saying. And uh, thank you, Melissa, for that reading. Um, We're in our second week in this Renovate series. It's a series on relationships, and we're calling it Renovate because our God's a God of redemption. And we use the word renovate because renovate is something that people probably have a little bit more familiarity with than redemption. Typically, redemption, the only thing you probably think of is cans, you know? (laughs) There's a redemptive value to cans, and you buy them back. And, And there's something to that. There's a connection there. But in our culture, renovate, renovation, we think about all these home shows and stuff like that. It's, um, it's a word that our culture would understand. And we live, guys, in a culture that's very disposable and replacement-oriented. So we buy things, they break, and they don't work out for us. We chuck them, we get one new one. And so a lot of times in relationships, we have the same mindset. A lot of times we want to replace relationships that God wants to renovate. And so for these next two months, we're going to look at how God can remodel even our messiest relationships. What we want to look at this morning from Hebrews 10 is one of the tools that he uses. Um, and that tool is, is a tool that will help renovate our relationships with our, with our friends, with our uh, spouse, with our kids, with our coworkers, with people in this body. And that tool that God uses is encouragement. Encouragement is a tool that God uses as sunlight and water in our relationships to cause them to flourish. And we're going to be here in Hebrews 10, specifically looking at the last two verses. If you look at Hebrews 10, 24, it says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
And uh, you can see that this ministry of encouragement from the text is for all of us. It says, let us. It's not let the pastors, let the apostles. It's let us. We're all involved in this. And guys, encouragement is a vital part of any friendship, any true friendship. And, And it's important for us to realize that the church is about friendship, right? We are a community of friends that are worshiping Christ together and pursuing his mission. You guys also need to realize your marriage is about friendship. Your marriage is a covenant, a lifelong covenant between friends. And the Song of Solomon, the the wife in there says, this is my beloved, this is my friend, talking about her husband. And we look at uh, Genesis 2, one of the core things was, it's not good that man be alone, it was companionship. And so marriage is about friendship. And then um, also, guys, parenting's about friendship. And I know I raised some eyebrows last week when I said, you know, that really the goal of parenting is eventually friendship, that you would have this adult friend. People are like, well, you know, you're not going to be their friends. You're not there to be their friends. And I get that sentiment. I do. But let's think, guys, long term. When your child's old enough to be out on their own and taking care of themselves, what kind of relationship do you aim to have with them? Friendship, right? Friendship. So what you're really raising is you're raising a future adult friend. How fun is that? You know? And, um, and guys, this encouragement is the salt. Sorry, it is the water and it is the sunlight to make all of your relationships flourish. And I want to look from this text. There's three things we need to do to be encouragers. There's three things we need to be encouraging friends. And the three things are premeditation, presence, and practice. So premeditation, presence, and practice. Firstly, premeditation. Look at verse 24. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Our goal in encouraging one another is to stir each other up in love and good works. So you have the love, which is the feeling, the desire that I want to bless you, I want the best for you. And then the good works are those acts of love, right, that show that. And this word that the ESV has for stir up one another, it can also be stimulate. Some of your Bibles might have stimulate one another to love and good works, motivate, spur on, which is kind of a horse term, right? You got your spurs on, you know, we're spurring one another on, weird image. Um, it's, it can also be used as, um, that word can be uh, provoke or incite. Guys, true friendships provoke each other and keep each other from being passive and drifting. Isn't that true? Your best friendships are people that provoke you and keep you from drifting and passivity. And that was an important theme in Hebrews. In this book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is concerned that these people are drifting. He says in Hebrews 2.1, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. And that word drift there is a word that was used as a nautical term when an anchor would come loose, when a ship was you know, um, in the harbor and they put down the anchor, um, that word drift could be of a ship drifting. And so our spiritual lives can be like that. We can go to sleep one night, anchor gives way, wake up in the morning and go, how did we get here? You know, our spiritual lives tend to drift without us even feeling it. And so friends are there to keep us from being passive and drifting. And the, the original readers of this letter to the Hebrews were Jewish Christians and they were really tempted, guys, by persecution to return to Judaism. They were tempted because that's what they knew, and there was a lot of persecution associated with being Christians. And so he wants to give them this big dose of gospel encouragement. But he also knows that unless they're in a body of believers that will encourage them, their faith will not stay strong. They'll drift. And this encouragement, guys, that he says that we should have The best kind of encouragement is planned encouragement. Look at verse 24 again. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another loving good deeds. He says, the best kind of encouragement you can give to others is ones you've thought ahead about. um, I remember when Josh was teaching on this, Josh White, when he was teaching on this a couple years ago, 
he was, um, he, he was talking about how we should encourage one another. And then all of a sudden he said this. He goes, do you know what the difference is between first and second degree murder? And I was like, ooh, this message is taking a dark turn. <laughs> and he goes, the difference is you planned to do it. And he, and he went on to say that this encouragement that he's talking about here is premeditated first degree encouragement. Okay? <laughs> You planned to do it. You thought about it. You, you had thought about it in your mind. And that's exactly what this text is talking about, guys. Because it's great if we do some second-degree encouragement. I'll take that, you know, spur of the moment, heat of the moment. You encouraged me. But how much better, guys, when it was planned ahead of time, when that encouragement was premeditated in first degree? That's what's happening here in verse 24. And so the author is telling us to make a habit of considering and thinking and focusing and studying one another for the purpose of knowing just how to encourage that person. Isn't that cool? I just love that. And this kind of encouragement, guys, requires that we really know each other, doesn't it? I mean, that's the thing I thought of first, is that we really have to know each other. The first, uh, first century Roman philosopher Seneca said, one of the most beautiful qualities of true friendship is to understand and be understood. You know, it's that really knowing each other. And guys, the gospel provides the best possible environment for that, doesn't it? Because in the gospel, we don't have to pretend we have it all together. We don't have to um, try and act like we don't have sin or we aren't flawed in some deep way. In the gospel, we can be very honest with each other about our sins, knowing that they're covered and that God's at work in us. Um, I love what first, in 1 John 1, 7, it says, but if we walk in the light which is like openness, right, to each other, transparent with each other. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Just love that. We could really know each other. And so I wanna give you a few ways you could think about to consider people in your life, friends here, uh, friends out there, your family, your kids, your spouse, ways you could consider ahead of time that you could premeditate your encouragement, okay? Let me just give you a few of them. Think about this. What are the unique struggles or temptations or idols that come with this person's stage of life? You think about, you know, with an elementary school kid or with a middle school kid or a high school kid or somebody in college or somebody in their 20s or somebody that's older and dealing with the things of, of aging. You know, what are the unique struggles and idols? Those are some things we should think about to think about their encouragement. We should think about what unique physical, emotional, or relationship struggles do they have? You know, does this person wrestle with some sort of physical ailment that's super discouraging? Do they, do they wrestle with some sort of emotional thing? Do they struggle with depression or anxiety or things like that? Do they have relationships in their lives that God's put in their lives that are super difficult? You know, to think about how to encourage them. We should think about um, this, these people as we're thinking about encouraging them. We should think about um, how they have been called to love specific people in their lives. Thinking about those people and thinking about how we might best be able to encourage them to love them. You think about Titus 2. Titus 2 talks about the older women should teach younger women to love their husbands and their children. And men have the same kind of roles with younger men. We should think about their spiritual gifts. You know, Does your spouse, do your kids, do your friends, do they even know what their spiritual gifts are? You know, Are they running in them now? Are they preparing to run in them? Um, have they seen how important their gift is? Have they seen how fruitful it is? A lot of times we'll do things, we don't have any sense that our gift is fruitful until somebody tells us and says, you know, when you gave me that encouragement or when you said that thing or when you led worship the other day or, you know, when you helped me in this place, it was so helpful to me. This kind of um, premeditation, guys, is best done in prayer. You know, one thing you can do is take a sheet of paper, start writing people down and just pray and ask the Lord to speak to you about how to stir these people up. 
God might give you very specific insights into their lives. I've been so encouraged by different people that have come up to me, encouraged me, and they've known something about my life, my day, what I'm wrestling with. There's no way they could have known except God revealed it. And so we should do this in prayer. It's amazing the insights he gives. And so to be an encouraging friend requires premeditation. Now you know what that means. And secondly, it requires presence. We need presence. Look at verse 25, to be present with people. Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As our culture struggles with being present, you know, because of media and things like that and technology, we're not present like we used to be with people. And even when we're physically present with them, we're not present with them like we used to be. Um, technology connects us in a great way, but it also is, there's downsides. And that's, there's nothing better than physically being present. When John was writing, one of his beloved friends in his third letter, he said, I have much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon that we can talk face to face. So even back then, I mean, he's writing scripture. He's like, I would love to be with you, to connect with you, to really see you. Some of us need to work on that, okay? Some of us really need to work on being connected and present, especially at home, you know? Um, we've tried different things. We've had Saturdays where we leave our phones at home. We've taken weeks on vacation, left the phone. And you guys are like, yeah, it's, you guys look freaked out. <laughs> I've said this to you guys before, but it used to be that only heart surgeons had to be on call all the time, okay? Now we're all on call all the time, and we're not all heart surgeons, Okay? <laughs> So you can do this. Um, you start with a date night. You leave the phone at home. You uh, have times at night that you don't have your phones with you. Um, you take a Saturday, leave the phone at home. You say, well, what if, you know, what if something happened and what if they needed me? They could dial 911. They could look to Christ. Okay, those would be the two options. In fact, a friend of mine was joking, pastor was joking, he was going to leave his voicemail out. If this is an emergency, call 911. If it's a spiritual emergency, look to Christ. <laughs> you know, it'll work great. But we need to be present. Now, the, the, the meeting together that he's talking about here, the being present here, is specifically the regular weekly meetings of the church. Okay, that's what he's talking about when he's talking about being present. And it, what's surprising about this text, guys, is that the church is only 40 years since Jesus' resurrection and stuff. And already people are starting to neglect the regular meetings of the church. Isn't that wild? In the first century, with all they had to deal with, they're like, oh, I'll skip it, Right? And the reason why they skipped it, though, guys, was mostly persecution. You know, you get all the Christians together in one area, it's easier to kill them that way. It was persecution. It was pressure from their families. Remember, these are Jewish converts. A lot of their families were not believing, and so they were getting pressure from the church. I'm sorry, pressure from their families. Um, for some of them, it was maybe financial. Uh, Sunday was a normal work day. Um, in, the, in the ancient times, it wasn't part of the weekend, you know, back then. So there may be some pressure to do work then. For us, it's other things. What is it for us? A lot of times it's leisure, you know? It just makes us sound really lame, doesn't it? It's leisure, it's sports, it's um, tiredness, you know, like binge Netflix last night and, you know, I just can't make it now. Those kinds of things, you know? And we have also real reasons too. But, but the fact is, guys, is that we're missing that God's designed this meeting to nurture Christian friendship and encouragement. God's designed this meeting for that. We need to trust him in that. And um, I know many of you guys have probably heard, you know, spoken from the pulpit and stuff like that. Sunday morning's not really for believers. Sunday morning's for uh, outreach and for us to serve the lost when they come. And there's an element to that, but um, I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's what he's saying here. Um, you've also probably heard that, you know, well, this meeting, we can't really do Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. You need to be in another meeting to do that. 
Guys, I reject that. I believe that God has designed the main weekly gathering of the church as the best possible environment for all of you to encourage one another. Like, he's designed it that way. And if this isn't doing it, we need to change how we do it to make this happen. But that's what this is for. It isn't meant to be something else. It's meant to live out this text. What a good environment to do it. I mean, just think about the flow of this. So we, we get in the word of God and we see a fresh view of who Christ is, right? And we see a fresh view of how we need him. And then we worship, right? And we declare God's worth, Jesus's worth together as we declare his worth and worship. And then communion, we have a time to feast on our souls on Christ. And what's also cool about this 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 meeting too in, in regard to encouragement and fellowship is we get to set it up together. We get to set up this uh, environment where God meets with us. And guys, the best friendships are not forged when they're just focused on one another. The best friendships are forged on mission. You guys know this. I mean, one of the best friendship movies we have in book is Lord of the Rings, right? Lord of the Rings is a great story about friendship. Why is it such a great story about friendship? Not because they sat across tables from each other and stared into each other's eyes, which would be real awkward. You know, you got like the dwarf and the hobbit, you know. It was because they were on a mission together, guys. We see this in, in war. We see the bonds of soldiers in war. They're on a mission together. And guys, we have the best possible mission to live out together. We get to be a part of bringing the gospel message to this community. And so we got to imagine that that's going to forge the deepest possible friendships. And guys, I'm so encouraged like to come here early and when we set up and stuff and it's super fun. Like last week I was, I came in here and I was kind of setting up and everything. And I was just thinking about the Giddon family. So I'm thinking about Casey, you know, Casey comes early. He, he wakes up like super early anyway for work. So this is like sleeping into him, but he pulls the, he pulls the trailer in here. We started unloading it. But what was so cool is I'm seeing his son, Jaden, who's like, how old's Jaden? He's six. Okay. So he's got that cart right there. And he's got it piled with stuff, and he's like trying to ram it through the doorway over here. You guys realize for children's ministry that the children put their own children's ministry together here. Like this guy, it's particularly Jaden, moves all that stuff over there. And that might be like breaking some sort of labor laws or something like that. But, but this guy's like pushing everything through. What is he doing? He's like his dad's mini-me, right? So his dad's setting up, and then, you know, he's setting up. It was so awesome. And then when I was in children's ministry a couple of weeks ago, Michaela, she's leading worship, which is cool. She's what, 11? And so she's leading worship, and she's very outgoing and everything, and she's doing all the hand motions because it's very charismatic in there. And, um, and it was super cool. And, you know, Nicole leads worship, so it's like this mini-me thing going on. It's so cool, guys, that these kids are connected to the church in a deep way. They're being encouragement to us. They're stirring us up. You know, I came in, I'm like, oh, why'd I have to be here? And, like, Jaden's like, bam, bam, you know, moving stuff through. It's just so awesome. And it's so fun to be encouraged by them. And, guys, it's so fun to get to know your kids, this is a fun thing about serving in children's ministries. I know all your kids. And what's really fun about that is they tell me all kinds of things about you. <laughs> no, I'm messing with you. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. That's a good idea, though. Um, so we've got that. That makes it a great environment, this serving together. And then we have this final hour. I don't know if you guys realize that we have this place till noon. We could even be outside after that. But we have in here till noon. And, um, and during that time, I just love seeing people like sharing their joys and their struggles and been people praying for one another. And we've seen amazing answers to prayer um, from you know, anointing people with oil, praying for them or praying for their struggles, praying for things that are going on in their lives. We've seen amazing answers to prayer. And guys, we actually keep the service tight for that. I don't know if you guys realize this. Um, our service, we try to get done kind of around 11 now. Don't watch the clock because I said that. But we want to keep it tight because we realize that you all have a ministry to do to one another here that's valuable. 
I used to preach for at least an hour. I don't know if you guys know this, but this is something I used to do. I used to preach for at least an hour. Sometimes I'd go an hour and 15 minutes and stuff like that. And you guys are like, whoa, don't do that anymore. And part of the reason I don't do that anymore is because I realize that you guys have an important ministry to do here too, okay? So we keep it tight for that. And so because we guys, we want this room to be the best possible place for people to create friendships, build them, restore them. And that that would have an effect on all your relationships out there. Um, one other way that this meeting is great for building friendship and stirring up one another and encouraging one another is that it's a service that welcomes the community. Um, lately, there have been, in the last 10 years or something, Barna and others have like advocated getting rid of this. Okay? We don't need to do this. We need to gather like a couple dudes on the golf course and call that church, or we should gather around the lake and fish and call that church. Guys, one of the many problems with that is that it kills our ability to reach our community. <laughs> I mean, that is so self-focused, that's so narrow. You know, that's great, do it. But I'm saying, if it were to replace this, it's so self-focused, it's so narrow. Guys, for us to have a gathering that's public in a neutral territory like a school and be able to invite people to hear the gospel and enjoy friendship with his people is something that we need to be excited about. I, I noticed last week we had a bunch of extra people for various reasons, and I wouldn't call them extra people. They were, you know, people the Lord loves and a... They weren't random people, that's for sure. They were extra people. And what was really cool is I heard from a lot of them how welcoming and how encouraging you all were. So that was cool to have this big influx and then see that you guys were were doing that. Because, guys, Sunday is your opportunity to practice a ministry of encouragement. And that ministry is so needed. We don't even see how much it's needed. When people walk in that door, the smile and all that, we don't know what's there. Rosaria Butterfield, she said this, we may never know the treacherous journey people have taken to land in the pew next to us. Isn't that true? We don't know what people are dealing with. This is a really important time. Your ministry is needed here. And so being an encouraging friend, spouse, parent, requires premeditation, presence, and lastly, practice. Look at verse 24. Sorry, 25. It says, encouraging one another and all the more. That's where I get the practice part. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is a cool word, encouragement. I'm not talking about the Greek word, but the English word encourage basically means add courage. Encourage basically means add courage. The end part, it's like to put in or add courage. And guys, we all need more courage, don't we? We all need more courage to follow Jesus. We all need more courage to follow his mission. We need all need more encouragement to go home and serve our families, right? We all need courage, and so we all need encouragement. And I just want to say to you guys again, you guys are a very encouraging church. I noticed that the first time I came, like in 2012, when I first came to our French Valley campus, that was one thing that hit me right off the bat. It's just the amount of encouragement that you get in this church culture. And I'll tell you guys, I would have never been a part of starting this Menifee campus if you guys weren't encouraging. I am naturally, well, I've got a fear of public speaking, so that doesn't help. And then, um, then there's, I am completely risk averse. Like I, I was telling somebody this morning, like I didn't start walking until I was 18 months. And the reason was, is I like wasn't sure I could do it. You know, so I was like telling people to carry me places and stuff like that. (laughs) But you guys have given me courage. And I think that's happened with everyone here. I think there's people that worship up front that never would have done it without this being an encouraging body. There's people that are, that are serving in ways, you know, joining in children's and things like that. And they never would have done that. It scared them, but they were encouraged. So, um, but we can all grow in it. Look at verse 24. It says, all the more. We can grow in being encouraging. We can practice it. And one of the places we really need to practice it is at home, don't we? We need to practice it at home. So what's the content of encouragement? 
want to talk about what the content of your encouragement should be. And there's two things that every Christian needs. Every Christian needs to be reminded of the gospel. Every Christian needs to be reminded of the spirit. Every Christian needs to be reminded first of how God loves them. And every Christian needs to be reminded of how God's at work in them. So I just want to do that for you real quick here and just give you some, some content of encouragement. The first one is, is that we all need to be reminded that God loves us, right? And the writer of Hebrews is doing exactly that. At the, end of the, uh, right, at the end of the letter of Hebrews, at the end, he calls this letter his letter of encouragement. And what he's mainly doing in, in the book of Hebrews is showing us how much God loves us and what he's done through Christ. You can see it even in this chapter. Take a look at chapter 10. Look at verse 4. He says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The first thing he does with them is he says, he, he tells them, don't rely on your own worthiness. Don't rely on anything you're going to do, any religious sacrifice you're going to make, any kind of deeds you're going to do. Don't rely on that to feel worthy before God. You know, put that aside. And then what does he say to him next? Then he points him to Christ's worthiness, right? He says in verse 5, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body you've prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. And then Jesus says, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as is written, me in, written of me in the scroll of the book. God the Son himself came to make the only sacrifice that could make us worthy before God. Isn't that awesome? So we don't have to keep on trying to build up some court of case, like I'm a good person and God should be good with me because I did this and I did that. He's saying, no, 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 that will never work. He goes, Jesus has made the only sacrifice that makes you worthy before God. And it's so cool. Look at verse 12. He says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. And he's talking to these Jewish Christians and they would have remembered the temple and there was this place called the Holy of Holies. And into it, the high priest would go once a year, right? And he would sprinkle blood on the altar to make atonement for the people. And he's saying that when Jesus did that on the cross, he sat down. Why is that a big deal? Guys, there was a lot of furniture in the Holy of Holies, okay? There was a table, there's lampstand, there's altars, there's all kind of stuff. You know what there wasn't in the Holy of Holies? There was no chair because his work was never done. His work was never done. He always had to offer more and more and more. But Jesus, when he made this final sacrifice, he said, it is finished and sat down at the right hand of God. It's finished, guys. He's got nothing to add to it. You don't have anything to add to it, right? I mean, if he has nothing to add to it, you don't have anything to add to it. It is finished. And then look at verse 14. By a single offering, Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I love that verse because it's saying, even while you're kind of being sanctified, even while you're being transformed, you're being viewed as perfect. So God has this way of, he sees your flaws, yes, and he's helping you work on them, but he has this overall sense of that you are perfect. You're perfected for all time. You're his child, he delights in you. Robert Murray McChain, a pastor from the 1800s, he said this, this is great advice for all of us. Take 10 looks at Christ for every look at yourself. That sound like a good plan? Take 10 looks at Christ for every look at yourself. Guys, let's encourage other believers by telling them how much God loves them and telling them to take 10 looks at Christ for every look at themselves. And then there's one other type of encouragement. The other type of encouragement that we need to do is not only that God loves us, but that God's at work in us. And I think this is one that we don't do enough and we need to do more um, because, guys, we change slowly, don't we? Okay, you said, uh-huh. Okay. Um, <laughs> Your friends, your spouse, and your children change slowly, right? Oh, interesting. Interesting disparate in volume. 
We change slowly, guys. We don't see God's work in us, right? It's so gradual. It's so over time. We're like a kid that doesn't notice he's growing, guys. And so we're prone, and we're so much more prone to see our sin than we are to see the fruit of the Spirit in us, to see the work that God's doing in us. We see our sin brighter. Um, I was uh, thinking about an illustration by Jerry Bridges. He talked about this dimmer switch analogy. And the analogy is this. So when you first got saved, your life's like this room and it's a mess, right? There's stuff all over the place. It's dirty and everything. And there's a light that's on in the room, but it's on real dim. But it's enough for you to see it. You see your sin and you're like, whoa, I need Christ. I need to come to Christ. He saves you. He perfects you for all time. And then God is about kind of cleaning that room up, right? Organizing it, cleaning it up and everything. But at the same time that that's happening, God's also turning up a dimmer switch so that you're seeing your sin more. Is all Christians, as they grow, they see their sin more. And there's this weird thing that happens where the light's coming on brighter and brighter, and you're like, this is a disaster. You might feel like you're getting worse. Has it ever felt like that? It's because you're seeing your sin more. You're not worse. God is actually at work in your life, but the dimmer switch is being turned up, so there's this weird thing. So we need to remind each other, guys, of how God's at work in us. We so tend to be discouraged by our present sin that we still have, not seeing the work that God's doing in us. And so um, this is a vital part of encouraging one another is pointing out where God's at work. And there's this book, which I've been helped by greatly, and it has a self-helpy title, so don't worry. But it's called Practicing Affirmation. Josh talked about it last week. We're gonna have several of them next week for you guys on the the book table if you want one. But Practicing Affirmation by Sam Crabtree. And what the book is about, it's not a Stuart Smalley thing, right? You know, I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. And doggone it, people like me, you know? It's not that. (laughs) And you're not saying that to other people either. When we practice affirmation, what it means is we're pointing out how God's at work in them, okay? So you see some way that God's at work in a person and you point it out to them. So what you're basically doing is you're you're thanking God, you're glorifying God for what he's doing in the person's life in front of them, which is really cool because God gets glorified and the person gets encouraged. So that's what we mean when we practice affirmation. One second. And Paul's a great example of this, guys. Like, when you think about how he wrote to the, to the, letter, the letter to the Corinthians, and that was a church that was messed up, right? So there's people that are getting drunk at communion, okay? There is a dude that's uh, sleeping with his father's wife, not his mother, like a stepmother or something. There are Christians suing each other. Um, they're totally abusing the spiritual gifts. I mean, this church is a disaster. But what's cool is that when Paul writes to him, he doesn't let all their issues get in the way of seeing what's good about the church. And the way he starts, he's got to correct them, but the way he starts is this. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that God has given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him with all speech and knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking any spiritual gift as you're waiting for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus. Okay, this is to a church you would never go to. You wouldn't, would you? I just listed those things and they're not addressing them. You wouldn't go to this church. And he writes and he, and he sees the things that God is actually doing him, even among all the flaws. And you see Paul doing this all the time throughout his letters. He's glorifying God by encouraging people. So he, he's showing what God's doing. It encourages people and it glorifies God. And guys, this is a vital part of any relationship is this kind of God-centered affirmation. You need to do it for your friends. You need to do it for your spouse. You need to do it for your kids. 
And um, let me just show you real quick why you need to do it if you're not totally. There's an illustration in this book, and it's of a, a bank account. Imagine this. Every critique and every correction that you do to your spouse, your kids, your friends, imagine every one of those critiques or corrections as you writing a check okay, out of this account. And imagine every affirmation that you've given them as a deposit. Now, I want you to think about each one of your relationships. You overdrawn? You writing bad checks? Probably, right? Probably. That um, we are often overdrawn. We have not made the deposits of affirmation, but we're continuing to do the critiques. And it's so important that we do this. Um, For those of you who are married, think about your spouse. How many deposits did you make this week? How many times did you affirm your spouse? How many times did you point out things God's doing in their life and ways that you're thankful for the work of God in them? How many critiques have you made? Either spoken or silent. Because they're silent critiques, right? Um, Guys, husbands and wives who know they're delighted in will flourish. But if all we can see is their flaws, they'll just shrivel up. That's the way it works. Francis Schaeffer, I love what he said about marriage. He says, sometimes the greatest deterrent to a very good marriage is the belief that you ought to have a perfect one right? We need to see and affirm the things that are there and the rest will flourish. Think about kids, real convicting with kids, right? Because we have to write a lot of checks with kids, right? We have to constantly correct them, you know? And and if we're not ahead of the game and we're not affirming them, we're going to run into trouble. I mean, imagine the teenager that comes into their house. He comes into the house and immediately say, you're late. And then you say, did you get your homework done? Don't forget like you did last night. Don't throw your jacket there. Your room's a mess. What did we do? Four corrections in one minute. We wrote four checks in one minute. Better made some deposits (laughs) or that kid is gonna come home later and later and less often, right? Let me give you guys a few um, affirmations, God-centered ones. And the cool thing about this book is very short. And then the last part is like, here's ways you can affirm people, a hundred of them, (laughs) you know? So if you're like, need to learn this kind of thing, it's great in there. And I've been seriously helped by that. Here are a few of them. How about pointing out the way that they're growing in a particular fruit of the spirit? You know, love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. One of those fruits of the Spirit. You say, I'm seeing in your life more and more of this fruit of the Spirit. What are you saying? You're saying God's at work in you. You're not just patting them on the back. You're patting God on the back in the way that they can hear, right? And so you're saying, you know, the Spirit is at work in you. There's evidence of the Spirit dwelling in you in this way. How encouraging is that? Isn't that so much better than I really like your hair? (laughs) I mean, those are important too, right? Those are important too. But isn't that so much better for a believer that's like, oh, I needed to hear that because we don't see it. Maybe you could point out some particular way you've seen this person, uh, you've seen the love of God flowing through this person. That's supernatural, we should point it out. Maybe you could point out some specific way that that person has encouraged you, because that's amazing. When you find out that you were encouraging to somebody, that's a work of God. Maybe you could point out some particular way that that person is an example to you of how to follow Jesus. Um, And you can do that with your kids. You know, we had a, you know, our kids, you know, early on, very evangelistic, a lot more than me. And that's something to point out. Like, you know, buddy, that's cool. You invited somebody to church. You, you talked about the Lord, you know. Um, they don't have that fear, you know. They have a boldness because they just see heaven, hell, Jesus. And they're like, I got to tell people. Simple. We should point that out. We should point out particular gifts of the Spirit we see in them. Um, 1 Corinthians talks about that the gifts of the Spirit are manifestations of the Holy Spirit for the common good. And so we should point out, what are their gifts? I mean, a lot of people in the church have no idea what their gifts are. Why is that? 
Because that's the job of the church to affirm gifts. And not just of leadership, that's a job of every one of us to say, hey, dude, I think you might have the gift of encouragement. Or, man, you really have a gift of teaching. Or, hey, do you have a gift of mercy and service? Or, you know, whatever it is. Um, Maybe you could point out specific ways you've seen them grow in character over the past year or so. This would be a great thing to do with your kids. I think, guys, just like you, me, you probably focus more. You're more likely to give them affirmation on their grades, their looks, their sports, or something like that. But what message does that send? I mean, we should do that, but what message does it send? What do we want to affirm? We want to affirm how they're growing in character. You know, it's really easy with Ellie to go, oh, you're so cute, you're so beautiful, you know? But how much better is it to tell her that, but to tell her, man, I really like the way you're being so much more kind to your brother. And I saw the way that you were serving. I saw the way you were generous or things like that. Or I saw the way you were serving at church. Those would be better things. We could point out their honesty and confessing sin. A lot of times when somebody confesses their sin, there might be initial shock of like, oh my gosh, you know? But the thing we should be thinking is, this is a work of God that you would share this with me. That's amazing. I've seen God at work. We should point that out. We should point out ways that we've seen them persevere in following Jesus, even in spite of their trials or temptations or hardships. Guys, this is a skill we can develop. It says in verse 24 that we should do it all the more. And you know what, guys? It's a reflection of the gospel, isn't it? Because before we were saved, God was our judge and he was impossible to appease, right? Um, Isaiah 64.4 says that all of our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. I think a lot of Christians take that and they they kind of apply that to themselves and they think, well, you know, everything I do is just a filthy rag to God. No, that's talking about before you were saved, guys. Before you were saved, there was nothing you could bring to him and go, I know I've sinned, but I've given to the poor. I've done this. It's all filthy rags. You know, the thing that you need is Christ. But after you're saved and when you're covered by Christ's righteousness, God is no longer your judge. He's your father and he's easy to please. You guys believe that? You guys believe that God is easy to please? The people that are hardest on other people are the people that think that God's hard on them. You just realize that? If you have a view of God that in Christ he's your father and he's delighted even in your really messed up work, you will have a different character towards people. You think about God as like, God is like we bring him like our artwork, like a, like a kindergartner would bring artwork to their father. The father doesn't go, the eyes are two different sizes. <laughs> you know, we don't do that, right? We go like, This is awesome. I'm going to put this on the fridge. That's the way God is with our feeble attempts to follow him. He isn't like, you know, but I think think some Christians have that. They take that Isaiah 64 and they think, he just thinks all I do is trash. How discouraging is that? God is not a hard person to please if you're his child. And if we're, guys, when we're generous with our affirmations, we're actually reflecting how the father treats us. Do you really believe that God delights in your work, even though you're far from perfect? If you do, you'll be able to express your delight for your very imperfect friends, family, kids, spouse. It's just amazing how much this affirmation and encouragement will cause all your relationships to flourish. As we become really encouraging people. And I want to tell you guys, you guys are that. But we can do it more and more, can't we? This is the the water and the sunlight of our relationships. Guys, this is a cool verse on encouragement. I love this. Isaiah 50 verse four says this. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, listen to this, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. What a cool gift that is, that God would give us a tongue, a mouth that can sustain with a word those who are weary. That's power. That's the power of God flowing through you. Let me challenge you guys to do this. I don't often give you homework, but I would like to challenge you guys to do this. Write this down. I would like you guys to think of three ways that you've seen God at work 
in your friends, your closest friends, your friends in this room, and your family members. I want you to go through, I want you to write three. And if you're struggling, I mean, that just shows the need for change, doesn't it? Because I think some of us, we only look at the problems. We go through our kids and we go, with the one kid, it's like, oh, what do I say? There are things there. There are ways God's at work in that child. Even if that child is not a believer, there are ways that God's at work in that child. And you need to affirm those. You need to, you need to point those out. Guys, let's start enjoying them for who God's made them. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of gospel that God truly delights in sinners that are only partially transformed. And just in closing, you guys might think, you know, I've tried this before. <laughs> There's always that guy. I've tried this before, you know? People let me down. You know, people don't get me. And I get that. I think there could be a real pain there. I get that. But guys, if you're, if you're thinking that, if you're thinking, I've tried this before, you know, people let me down, people don't understand me. I want you to consider Jesus the friend of sinners. And that though he was God, he is God, with no needs, he became a man, and then he had needs during his lifetime, didn't he? Needed to eat, needed to drink, needed sleep, needed all those things. He also needed friends. And they didn't get him, did they? They really didn't get him, okay? And they let him down. And they deserted him, they rejected him, but he kept pursuing him. I love what Marcella's sermon a few weeks ago about how Jesus continues to pursue us. And he died on the cross to remove our sin and make our friendship with him eternal. And that's what God is calling us to do today, to die to ourselves, to make our friendships eternal. And guys, the coolest thing is, is that our friendships are eternal in the gospel. In the Eastern religions, what happens when you die is you become a part of some impersonal thing, right? Kind of melt into the ether of everything or whatever, okay? And so friendships die. In our Western secular view, you just become worm food. Friendships die. But in the gospel, guys, look at Revelation 22, and what do we see? We see a city. We see a city where the Lamb of God reigns. We see a river flowing out from that throne, and we can see ourselves with our friends walking along that river, laughing and enjoying one another in the presence of Jesus, the best friend we've ever had. Let's encourage one another all the more until we see that day approach. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we're thankful for friendship. I think everyone in this room, whether they're near you or far from you, recognizes the value of having friends. And Lord, I just pray that no one would leave this room without really having a profound sense that you have come through your son as the person Jesus to be the best friend we ever had, to lay down your life for us, to have us be friends forever. And we thank you for that, Lord. You are the standard of what friendship's like. And we just pray, Lord, that for all of our families, for all of our friendships, for our workplaces, I didn't even talk much about that, but just the way that encouragement and affirmation could build bridges there. We pray, Lord, that we would be people that are constantly thanking you for what we see in other people. So much to be thankful for. So many evidences of your grace, Lord. Help us to find them. Help us to be like that miner that can find that that speck of gold in a rock, Lord, that we would see the goodness and the work that you have done in other people and magnify that and say, thank you, God, for making this person this way. We pray you'll be glorified in it all. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at cupgrace.org slash Menifee.